the Beaux-Arts Photography Podcast with Alan and Natalie Brio. This podcast is about beginning photographers and the characteristics of a beginning photographer in landscape, not in portrait, not in other films, just in landscape photography. And the reason why we want to do this, to make this uh, recording about the characteristics of a beginning landscape photographer is because we have a lot of students that are beginners and we found that they share a lot of things in common. Yes. A lot of things that they do that are pretty much the same from one person to the next. And so what we did is write a list of characteristics and what we are going to do now during this podcast is go over this list and talk about each of the items. So why don't you start with the first item on the list? The first one is that they all want to be told that they are great. Yeah, that seems to be a universal characteristic. And I think that the reason for that is because they just don't know how their work is, you know. They never had a true assessment of the quality of their work. Yes, and I think that the feedback that they have received is probably from friends and family, maybe co-workers that are telling them how good their photography and their photographs are. And when they come to one of our workshops and we do the print review and they see the other participants' work, I think it's a shock to them sometimes. Right. They've been told by people that know nothing about fine art photography, how it's done and what it is, that their work is fantastic. And they've been told that because, you know, they're using Lightroom, they're using Photoshop, they're cranking up the saturation, they're cranking up the contrast. And people like contrasty and, and saturated photographs, you know. And so they don't realize that anybody can do that the minute they go into Lightroom and that, that's the most easy thing to do. And so when I see that, I'm like, okay, you know, you're a beginner, you know, you do what everybody else does, you know, right. basically. And uh, they tell me, they say, well, what should I do? And I say, well, you know, create some visual poetry, have a little bit more sophistication, learn to process your photograph professionally, learn about color, you know, open the shadows, you know, control the highlights, you know, you don't have to oversaturate everything, you don't have to over contrast everything, you know. Things can be subtle and, in and interesting. Right. You know? And, and they always tell me the same. They say, well, the scene that I photographed was contrasty. And I have to explain to them that just because the scene was contrasty does not mean that the print has to be contrasty. We have Lightroom and Photoshop, and we can control highlight and shadow density. But obviously they don't. You know, they don't know how to do that. So that's really one of the, the things that happens right away. And, of course, they are shocked when I tell them that their work is not very good. Yeah. Right. <laughs> They're right. not happy. Some of them want a refund. Some of them never come back. Um, some of them actually leave the workshop. Yeah, some of them get really pissed off, yeah. And I always tell them the same. I say, you know, I charge a lot of money and I tell you the truth. That's what you paid me for. I could charge a whole lot less and lie to you, but the way I do is it's expensive and you know the truth. You know, And you may never hear it from somebody else, but at least you heard it here. Because a lot of workshop instructors, they operate on the principle that if you give a good rub to your students, you know, if you tell them things that are not true just to make them happy, they're going to come back. Right. I don't do that. And I don't do that for two reasons. The first one is I'm honest. I evaluate the work for what it is. If a beginner, it does happen once in a great while, has great work, I tell them. But uh, on the other hand, the second reason is because if you tell somebody that their work is perfect, why would they come back? Right. So I don't think they come back to these other workshops either, you know, because there's no reason. My work is great. I don't have anything to do. I'm good. Right? And another characteristic is that they are love their work and 
they cannot see how it can be improved. <clears throat> and so when you do the print review, instead of waiting to hear feedback from you, they just talk about how great the photograph is, and I like this, and I like that, and I did this, and I did that. And uh, you asked... Well, we had, let's put it that way, we had a participant in the workshop that we are teaching right now. This is recorded during the Joshua Tree workshop in 2021. We had a participant in this workshop that we reviewed his work a couple of days ago, and... uh, he, all he could say about his work, you know, I asked students to tell me a little bit about their background and why they created that, and he did not do that at all. What he did is tell us everything that was great about his work, about one particular photograph, to the point that when he passed after a tenant, I told him, I asked him, is there anything that you not like? And he looked at me and he thought for a second, and he says, I said, sure, it's because they help. There's nothing that you won't help with. Right. right. And we and, had given And the other students that had taken workshop with me before and that came back to attend a second or third or fourth or fifth workshop, we are laughing and saying, done, next, <laughs> because we realize the absurdity of the whole thing. I mean, you know, he, this person, paying $1,600 to get my opinion, and he thinks his work is perfect. Right. <laughs> I mean, do you see the bizarre situation? Yeah. I mean, if I pay $1,600 to somebody to help me, I'm not going to say that my work is perfect. What I'm going to say is, is there anything else that you could help me improve. Right. <laughs> right. Is there anything else I can do better? And I would have looked at him and said, hell yes, there's a whole lot of things that you can do better. But he did not want that. You know? No. It's, it's, it's hilarious, you know. So what is the next thing on the list? The next thing on the list is that beginners don't see what can be improved or how it can be improved. And I think we just touched on that. We just covered that. that. You know? Yeah. So um, the one after that, the characteristic after that, is that they are at the first stage of learning. And this is a very important thing, because obviously what I just talked about, the fact that they don't see how their work can be improved and they don't even care to know, is because they are at the first stage of learning. And so in order to understand that, we have to go over what are the stages of learning. Yes. And there is a theory out there, and it's more than a theory, I totally subscribe to it, I think it's absolutely accurate, that there are four stages of learning. And they go like this. The first stage is that you don't know that you don't know. That is, you're not doing the best that you can, but you have no idea that you could do better. Right. You know, so you don't know that you don't know. And this makes perfect sense. In you the context of a beginner, yes. absolutely. You don't but, even know what questions to ask. No, he doesn't even know that I could help him. Right. Even though he paid me $1,600. Right. You know? So anyway, the second stage is that you know that you don't know. And that's the learning stage. That's what I call the learning stage. The person has opened their mind and they have realized that, for example, when we show my work this morning, which is what we're going to do next, you're going to show some of my prints, they're going to realize maybe, hopefully, that I can do things that they can't do. Right. And he might realize, if everything goes according to plan, you know, that's the teaching principle that we follow here, that there is certain things that he does not know. And so at that point, he's going to think, well... I now know, but I don't know. Right. That's stage two. Stage three is when you know that you know. That is, you now have learned, you can do it, and you're aware of your knowledge. Yes. You know, which is the pre-mastery stage, I call it. A very good artist or a very good photographer, fully aware of the fact that if they want this particular blue, they know exactly how to mix it in Photoshop, you know, RGB. Right. With... Uh, the opacity and, and uh, 
the amount and the brightness and whatnot in order to get that exact blue. They know, yes, they say, you want that? I'll do that. Right. Right? The beginner says, you want that? I have no idea how to create that. Right. Right? That's the first stage. You know that you know, you're aware of your knowledge. And then comes the fourth stage, which is the mastery stage, where you forgot what you know. You right. just do it automatically. Yeah. People say, how do you do that? You say, I don't, I know. don't know. Five years of study and 15 years of practice. Because you, know? you don't think about how you do it anymore. Right. It's you're unconscious. You just you, do it. You're no longer aware of what you do. Yes. And those are the four stages of learning. And beginners are at the first stage, which is perfectly logical. You know? yes. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a beginner. There's something wrong with remaining a beginner for 20 years. <laughs> you know? Oh, I agree. Everything that we do, a new hobby, we're always going to be beginners until we learn. So That's what normal. is the next characteristic on our list? The next one is preconceived ideas or notions about photography. And an example that I have is that you can't shoot at noon, meaning you can't photograph in the field at noon because of the light. Right. These so beginners have an enormous amount of preconceived idea about landscape photography. They have basically a list of do and don'ts. And they don't realize that art, which is what we teach, we don't teach documentation, we teach how to create artistic landscape photographs. Art is about doing whatever you like, whatever you want. So there's no don't and there's no do's. There is whatever people feel like doing. And one of the preconceived concepts we have is you can't shoot at noon. Right. Or you can't shoot during midday. You can only shoot at sunrise and at sunset. The rest of the day you can take photos, but they're not going to be very good. Right. right. And I obviously don't agree with that because if somebody's style is to shoot during the midday, then that's perfectly fine. And then now with processing, we can make a midday photograph look like a sunrise photo or a sunset photo if we so like. Yes. You know, the shadows are not going to be the same, but we can make the colors, we can make the contrast be the exact same color and contrast as sunrise or as sunset, meaning very soft contrast, very pastel colors. And of course, we won't have the long shadows of sunrise and sunset, but we'll have the same colors. Right. And so the minute that comes into play, that color is no longer an issue, then a photograph can be very beautiful and be taken at midday. And a lot of my work is taken at midday, you know, you just don't realize it unless you look at the length of the shadows. And I also explain that in black and white photography, because we have no color, we just have black and white, a lot of artists photograph during midday. You know, Edward Weston created a lot of his best work during midday. Right. They just drove around and whenever they found something interesting, they would shoot it. And they were not concerned with color because obviously uh, that was not... Uh, an issue since there was no color, and they controlled the contrast through the processing, and they could soften the image if necessary. And they also did not care that it was high contrast. Right. So whatever style, you know. So that's something that we learn. And, and, and what are the other preconceived ideas, you know, that we have? That you have to do HDR to get detail everywhere in the highlights and in the shadows. Yeah, that's really a characteristic of beginners, you know. They, they think that HDR is... Um, Mecca, you know, it's it's a godsend, it's the gold, you know. They don't realize that, you know, just about every landscape photography today has stopped using HDR a long time ago, that it's completely unnecessary. We have high dynamic range cameras, we can extend the dynamic range further in Photoshop and Lightroom, we can merge two photographs if, if absolutely necessary, which is actually very rare. But they don't know that because they don't understand processing. You know, they understand processing as far as moving sliders right and left, as far as automated stuff, which is, yeah, it's pretty much is, you know. But they don't understand refined, sophisticated, professional, advanced, masterful processing. 
Right. And so it's a puzzle to them, you know. The minute they see a photo that has detail and highlight and shadows that's high contrast or backlit, they're like, how many photographs did you use? And I'm like, one. And they're like, uh, I don't think so. I say, well, I mean, hey, listen, you know, if you want to think that I'm lying, fine. You know? Right. <laughs> you know. Well, that brings us to the next one. Beginners distrust the advice of masters. They do. Beginners distrust the advice of masters because they think that masters tell them things either to bother them, to bug them, or to get more money out of them, or whatever the heck they think. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm not quite sure what their reason is. but I don't know, but I know when you and I were taking art and learning yeah. how to paint and all of that, we didn't question our instructors. When my instructor said to use this color here and yeah. to do this and do that, I never questioned my yeah. instructor. I just did what they said. Yeah, and and personally, I mean, honestly, I'm not quite sure why they, they do that. I usually assume that this is the age of suspicion, that yes. we live in a society that's suspicious by nature and they're just suspicious, and that's perfectly fine. But I also know that being... Uh, distrustful of a master that can demonstrate what they do makes you a waste a lot of time because eventually the person is right you know the master is right and b can be dangerous yes because you know i learn other things besides photography you know i study woodworking for example and if the teacher says don't put your finger in front of your saw or don't put your finger in front of your chisel or your knife and i'm like you know fuck you i'll do whatever i want while my finger goes out and i'll have one less finger Right. <laughs> so, you know, in landscape photography, it's not as dangerous. No. Right? But the idea is the same. You, you get hurt. So people are like, ah, you know, I don't need to do that. You know, and, and we see that a lot in marketing. I'll, I'll do it anyway. And they go do a show and nothing happens. They don't sell anything. Right. You know, because they did not believe. And then we come back and they're like, well, you know, when you said that, what did you mean? <laughs> what I mean is do it. You know, say, oh, okay, maybe I should have done that because uh, it did not work out, you know. The so, next one I have is uh, beginners are willing to spend more on gear than on learning. Than on, t- on learning, yeah, absolutely. Or, t- or on yeah. tutorials yeah. or... Um, or workshops, you know. Most beginners workshops. don't take workshops, you know. Yes. And they go and they buy the most expensive camera they can afford, you know. Uh, and, and that comes from the belief that the gear is going to take the photo. And they don't realize, uh, the minute they come in my workshop, that we take the photo. You know, that's what we learn, you know. That the gear is not that important. Right. Today, with all the advances in technology, you can take the same exact quality photo with a cell phone or with a phase one 150 megapixel digital back. The only difference is that the phase one back will give you a bigger photograph and the cell phone is only enlargeable to a point. However, resolution keeps going up everywhere across the board and we're at the point where, you know, if all you want to make is a 16 by 20, you can do so with anything. Pretty right. much. doesn't really matter. Obviously, that's bad news for camera manufacturers, and that's why I don't work with manufacturers, because I couldn't say things like that. Phase one would basically be very angry and cut off my funding if I said to my students, if they knew that I said to my students that uh, a cell phone will do just fine. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't work with phase one or any of them. No. I just use their cameras. I buy them myself. And on the other hand, a lot of students are angry to find out that the money they spent on camera X, Z, or Y is not really necessary, you know, because they could have gone a whole lot cheaper and uh, save money and, and have everything they need, you know. As, as a matter of fact, you know, when I taught film photography, you know, and when I was at university, I told students to buy the Pentax K1000 because that was an inexpensive camera that was fully manual. And it was very inexpensive because it did not have any of the sophistication of automatic cameras, but it was everything that a student needed. 
because the problem that a lot of students have, after they buy a very expensive camera, is that they also deal with a very sophisticated function system, you know. There's very sophisticated functions, and they get lost in it. And really, they don't even know how to put it in manual. Right. When I tell them at sunrise that they're going to have to correct the exposure, either increase the exposure if the camera thinks it's too bright, or decrease the exposure if the camera thinks it's too dark, they look at me and they say, how do you do it? Well, you know, it's simple. You just use the under-overexposure wheel, and you do plus one, plus two, or minus one, minus two. But they don't know that. However, they know how to set the camera so it takes four exposures in a row at plus or minus one, you know, all of that stuff. They don't know the basics, you know. Right. Uh, we had a student actually on a workshop uh, in a slot canyon. It got so dark that in there that the camera was overexposing massively to make everything gray, basically, because that's the goal of a light meter. And I told the student, put it on manual mode because the wheel goes only three steps under and over, mm-hmm. you know, the correction wheel. And we spent the next 10 minutes trying to figure out how to do that. Right. Because I, I did not know our camera. You know, there's so many of them, I can't understand how each of them operates. And she did not have the manual, and she had never put it on manual. And, you know, by the time she figured it out, the shot was gone. Right. You know? right. Yeah. So now we tell them, bring your manual. Right. Yes, <laughs> yeah. very important. Yeah. Every camera is different, and, yeah. you know, where things are can be pretty confusing. And, you know, at the time that the sun is rising or the sun is setting is, is not the time to be learning all of this in the field. That's the time to photograph. Absolutely. The time to photograph is when we're out in the field. The time to learn how to use your camera is when you're seated at your desk in your home. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And that's why we give uh, skills enhancement exercises during our workshops. Right. Because... It gets you practicing so that you know these things. You know which lens to use. You know what type of light you're photographing. This is very important. You asked yesterday, somebody showed a print, and you said, what type of light is this? And nobody knew, you know. And And it was backlight. And it was backlight. Which is pretty pretty. Obvious. Yes. You know? They could see the sun right smack well, in the And it was not backlight in the sense of you see an object and, and the source of light is behind it. It was backlight because the sun was right in the middle of the photo yes. and it was in the photo. Yes. And, and I'm like, you know, what is that? And they're like, uh, I don't know. And you said this morning we were photographing the Joshua trees as the sun was rising. We photographed the sun star. Yeah. You know, as the sun was rising. Yeah, what, what kind type, of light was that? What kind of light is like, that? Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I thought I was back in grade school where they asked me, <laughs> what is the color of the white horse of Henry IV? And I'm like, I don't know, gray, uh, black. Uh, can you repeat the question? Yes, what is the color of the white horse? White, not black, white horse of Henry IV. Right? You have to know the types of light. Yeah. And here I'm, I'm like, you have the sun in front of you, what kind of light is it? And they're like, uh, I don't know, open shade? You know, it's ridiculous, you know. But that takes us to one of the other characteristics of beginners. Beginners don't want to practice. They believe that they can be good right away. Haven't taken a photograph in three months, pick up the camera, turn it on, great art comes out. Right. That's the beginner's belief. And... Uh, no, it doesn't work that way. Everybody has to practice. Whether it's photography, whether it's painting, woodworking, drawing, dance, theater, singing, music, everybody has to practice. Right. And one of the things that I've noticed on workshops, which reinforces 
what I just said is that we've had a number of musicians on our workshop. We have. And we've had successful musicians and we've had musicians that decided not to make it as a career. Right? Correct. Let's put it that way, you know, unsuccessful musicians. And those that decided not to make it as a career, what did they all say that they did not like to do? Practice. Yeah, they did not like to yeah. practice. Right. They did not want to practice. They just wanted right. to play. Well, unfortunately, in music, if you just play and you don't practice, you don't play much. Right. You know? And you had a student who showed his work, and he knew what his problem was, and it was processing, and he told you in a very honest manner that he just did not want to spend the time in practice processing. True. And so, basically, he's not going to grow as far as printing his photographs. No, because printing is processing. A printer yes. is a default device. It won't print whatever you send to it and the file is what matters. Right, you know? right. Um, yeah. Another characteristic of beginners is that they don't work on projects. Right. And uh, this was something that uh, we did yesterday. We went to Big Morongo State Preserve and before we went there you gave a presentation on many projects. First, you explained what is a project, mm -hmm. and then you went into what is a mini project, and that when we go to this big Morongo State Preserve, that they were gonna work on a mini project for mm -hmm. the length of time we were there. So yeah. for about an hour, they worked on a mini project yeah. yesterday. And I also explained that uh, in reality, every photographer works on a project from the minute they buy their camera or the minute that they have their camera in their hands. In my case, I bought a, my first camera in Paris. I got it in the store, I opened the box, I put film in it and I started working on my project. And today, a lot of people buy cameras at B&H, so they have to wait for it to arrive in the mail. Then they put the flashcard in, they charge the batteries and they go and start on their project. And what is that project? Everything that catches my eye. <laughs> Everything that catches the eye. And we believe, and this is another characteristic of being in us, but it's just the most fantastic, incredible, and interesting project that the world has ever seen. Right. Except that nobody cares. And the reason why nobody cares is because everybody's working on the same project. They are working on everything that attracts their eye. Right. And so you show your photos of that project to somebody, and they're like, oh, who gives a shit? You know, look at mine. You know, right. nobody cares about your life. Nobody cares about what catches your eye. People care about what catches their eye. And the goal is to create photographs that actually catch people's eyes, not you particularly. And then the second thing is that everything that catches your eye is obviously going to be extremely spread out, extremely diversified. I mean, if I do that, I see a coyote, I take a photo of it. I see a nice car, I take a photo of it. I see a, you know, a nice house, I take a photo of it. I see a nice characters, I take a photo of it. What's the relationship? Well, there is no relationship except that all the photos were taken by me. And so the common theme of our project is that everything was taken by them. And that's not enough. That does not work as a project. No. So we taught them what is a project. That's a completely different podcast, you know. We're not going to go over that here. No. But, um, but we got them started on a mini project. We got them started on a mini project. And... Uh, they move one step away from being beginners. Yes, you know, and they learn something profound, yeah, you know. Sure. They have to do something within this hour. There's a start, there's a finish, and, uh, Well, you know. and I think the most important thing that they learn is that they can complete a project in half an hour. 
plus the time of processing and printing. Right. Know? But at least for the shooting, because a lot of people are like, oh, I'll, I'll never start on a project. I, I don't want to spend the next three, four years. Well, they confuse project and project. They probably saw a CBS program with a project by a National Geographic photographer that went to God knows where, you know, surveyed, you know, went to photograph the entire Sonoran Desert or the entire Colorado Plateau and spent four years doing it. And they're like, that's too much for me. They don't realize that a project can take 20 minutes. You right. Know? If you photograph a particular subject in a particular way and you don't try to photograph the entire region, that can be done in 20 minutes. Right, and you limit yourself to a number of images as well. Well, focus, focus, focus. Instead of being all spread out and photographing everything everything that that catches catches your your eye, eye, you photograph only a very limited subject area. The project that I worked on yesterday at Big Morango State Park, because believe it or not, I also work on projects during workshops <laughs> <laughs> to show, you know, you, you show by example, right? right. You teach by Absolutely. example, that's how I do it, is actually the leaves, you know, the, of the palm trees, you know, what we call the fronts, right? Yes. And details of them, and they have beautiful radial patterns, you know, and, and beautiful diagonal lines, and so it's all about composing these very dynamic images, just the leaves, nothing else. Yes, and some were backlit, some had reflected light on them. Yeah, some are open shade, some are side light. I mean, Uh, basically, you know, if, if actually they did the exercise... They would have every type of light with that palm tree. Well, yes, yeah. and I even saw air light because yes, I told you, found you some blue this light. one has yeah. air light. Yeah. These these have mm-hmm. blue yeah. on them. Yeah. Yes. So another characteristic of beginning photographers is they only shoot horizontals or whatever direction their camera is. Yeah, whatever direction the viewfinder is. You yes. know, so if they buy your camera with a viewfinder that's horizontal, everything is horizontal. If they buy your camera with a viewfinder that's vertical, then everything is vertical. vertical. And of course, when we tell them uh, that they suffer what I call horizontalitis, which is the inability to take a vertical photograph, right? Yes. It's a handicap, you know, it's a disease, you know. They're like, well, that's how my camera is. And I'm like, can you do that? And they say, oh, well, I see. I see what you mean. But then they don't necessarily do it. You know. Right. But that's one of the exercises on the handouts that I give them to do in the field. Yeah. Is to shoot horizontally and vertically. For every photo. Yes. And people are like, but I'm going to have a lot of photo. And I'm like, yeah. And your flashcard costs how much, you know. Right. You get 128 megabytes or gigabytes, sorry, for $25. You're worried about one shot. Right. So that's a very interesting thing, you know, that beginners have. They're afraid to take too many photos. Yes. I think we can put that on the list almost, you know. They're afraid to take too many photos. Why? Because they believe that the best photo should be taken in one frame, right? Right. And, and that's a very interesting concept. That's a preconception, you know, that we talked yes. about earlier. The preconception comes from the fact that when people shot last format, you know, let's say 8x10 or 4x5 view cameras, they had very little film. You know, you could carry 12 holders, maybe 24 sheets of film, maybe 12, you know, depending on the size. And it was really heavy, you know, and the bigger the camera, the heavier all of that was, to the point where people that shot what we call banquet size cameras, you know, 12 by 20 I think, carried only a couple of holders. They could take four photos. Well, at that point, it's really important to get it all in one frame. Right. Because you don't have the luxury of shooting uh, 20, 50 frames if you want. But with digital, everything is free after the $20,000 that you spend buying your camera and your lenses. And the more you shoot, the more you learn. So we have to tell them, nobody's going to judge you if you take too many photos. You know? No, yeah. no, not at all. And you told them, I don't care how many. Yeah. I tell them, when you show me a print, I'm not going to ask how many frames you took right. to get that print, to get that particular final image. 
I'm only interested in what's in the image, right. whether it's good or not, you know, right. if it's interesting or not. And I liked it when you explained how you work, that um, it's a bell curve. You're warming up, then you get some images mm -hmm. that you really like, and then you start getting tired and it starts going back down. Right. Pretty much everything when, when it photograph. comes to success is on a bell curve. Yes. But the beginner does not believe that, or they don't know that, you know. They think that you get started in the morning, you wake up, you have coffee, and you create great work. Right. And, and all you need is one shot, right? And sometimes we have to tell them, keep working at it. Right. If we, if we see that, scene. work the scene, keep shooting, refine the composition, try to go further and further and further, correct little mistakes, you know, Change try to, to refine it as much as you can. Because the best photo in my experience, in my own work, is never the first one. Right. It's always the one down the road. Now, does it happen that it's the first one? Absolutely, anything can happen. Yes. It also happens sometimes that it's the last one. And it also happens that sometimes there is no good photo at all. Yes. You know, anything happens. But right. in general, as a general rule, the best photograph are at the top of the bell curve. You right. know, halfway between the time that has begun and the time that has stopped. And that's pretty much how it is. Beginners do not include foregrounds. Yeah, they don't foregrounds. You know, the foreground is going to make you unique. Any trees take a photo of the background because just not the full load, no nothing except what's far. And they're like, oh, okay. And then they go and take just the, the background. Yeah. Because they can't snap out of it. You know, they don't necessarily listen. I mean, people hear, but they don't pay attention. You know, they, it comes in one ear and out of the other. In teaching, we say that we have to expect students on a good day, if we're optimistic, to remember 25% of what we say. Right. In reality, some of them remember 5%, and some don't even remember anything. You know? Right. So, yeah, that's what happens. Right. Most beginners also do not print their own work. They have right. it printed at Costco, or they send it out. Costco seems to be a favorite. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why. You know, maybe they're cheap, you know. I'm not sure. Um, or maybe they're cheap and good, which is even worse. Because when I see Costco prints, you know, I say, what did you, where did you get that printed? Did you print it yourself? They're like, I printed it at Costco. And they are pretty good. They look good. I say, well, that's the problem. If you had printed it yourself, it probably would not look that good. Right. And they say, what do you mean? How can that be? And I say, that's because Costco wants your money again. They want your business again. They want repeat business. They do. And if they do a pretty bad job... You're not going to go back. You're going to go to another one. So we do a pretty good job. Right. And that's a <coughs> shock to most people when, when they hear yeah. you tell them that. They're like, what do you mean they changed yeah. my settings? Yeah. They're like, what do you mean they changed my photo into something else? I'm like, yes. absolutely. Either yes. the operator or the machine. Right. You know? And at Costco, it's probably the machine, but it could be both. We had a student one time that came to do consulting. This is a student that came, spent one day in, in our studio to do one-on-one -on -one consulting. And... He brought his work and he brought his prints. And he, he asked me if I could look at the raw file, look at the final version, and look at the print and see how I could improve things. And I looked at the final version, the master file, that he sent to the printer, and I looked at the print and I told him they are not the same. Right. This print was not made from this file. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, look at the shadows. These are blocked out shadows. These are burned out highlights. And on your print, there's detail everywhere. Right. And he said, well, I sent them that. I said, well, I agree. I'm not saying... You did not send them that. What I'm saying right. is the operator or the machine made changes. And because it was a custom lab, it had to be the operator. And he said, can you prove that this guy suffered from extreme suspicion? Yes, Actually, he, he wanted his money back. He was so pissed off because right. I was telling him things that he did not like. And I told him, as with everybody, I'm not paid to lie. You know, I even told him, you want me to lie? It's very expensive. And I gave him a price and he 
did, he not, did not like not it. Yeah. Trust you, yeah, he did he, not trust me. And yeah. you said, I'll show you. Yeah, I said, well, hey, listen, you know, I do this for a living. I don't just say things. I can prove it. Let's take that file that you send them and let's turn it into something that can make this print. And I showed him exactly the adjustment. He was like, oh, shit, that looks exactly like my print. And I'm like, yeah. Yes. He said, why? That's because that's what they did in the lab. That's right. And I said, the problem is you have no freaking clue how to do that. Right. You need to learn. Right. right. You don't even know that they changed your file. No. And when a professional like me tells you, you don't even believe them. No. Those no. are the kind of that's problems you have. That's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. You know? <laughs> You're lucky that you came here. And, and instead of saying, thank you, sir, for helping me, he wanted his money back. He did. Right? Which we did not do. No. But, no. Uh, you know, what an ass. But we come in every shape or form, you know. They come in every shape or form. And we always do the same. We're honest. And, uh, and that's probably another reason why they think they're better than they are. Well, because, absolutely. you know, they honestly believe that they well, did this. sending your work to Costco when you're a beginner is just the worst thing you can do. Yes. Because indeed, or, or to operational lab. And, and the problem is this guy had more money than, than those that send things to Costco. So he could afford a custom lab. And it was even worse because yes. they did an even better job at they Costco. Did. But wherever you go, when you send your work out, that's about the worst thing you can do. Because you get prints that look good. And you think that you're better than you are. You're like, oh my God, I didn't know I could do that. Well, the fact is you can't do that. Right. You, right. You're not able to do that. It's looking that good because you send it out. The minute they print it themselves, it goes down one notch or more, you know. Right. Yeah, so beginners don't print their own work. And we have students that don't come back to workshops because they realize that we require prints. I had a student that wanted to sign up for a workshop just before this workshop, you know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, that eventually learned that he had a print review. We were going to review his print, and he says, I don't print. And I said, well, then you can't come. Right. Because we require print. And he was like, well, can you look at my laptop? No. And I'm like, no, I can't look at your laptop, because what's on your laptop isn't going to look at your prints unless you know the difference between a laptop and a print. You have to make changes for your screen to look good on print. And my teaching is all about you learning to make these changes. And And what's funny is always the same reaction. They all get pissed off. They do. They don't like hearing the truth. No. And people say only the truth hurts. You know, I think it does because they don't like it. But we don't charge to lie. We only charge to learn the truth. And so if you pay us to take a workshop, do consulting or learn something about photography, whatever it might be, we'll tell you the truth. You know, and if you don't like it, well, I'm sorry, you know, but that's how it works. (laughs) And I think we could add that to the list of things about beginners. Beginners don't like the truth. No. You know, don't you think? Yes. And and it really, some of them, they're like, I don't like it, but I think you're an expert, you know what you're talking about, I'll take it, I'll accept it. Others, they just don't accept it at all. And I think the other problem is, like you said, other instructors will give them a good rub and then they take a workshop with us and they're just, um, they're shocked. Right, well, a lot of uh, workshop instructors, a lot of photographers, and for that matter, artists in general are pretty bad business people yes and a bad business person thinks that if you just please the customer to no end even though it's completely inappropriate you know it's not part of what they're buying at all they'll come back you know so uh, you know a customer goes to a restaurant their steak drops on the floor and it's their own fault you get a free steak you know 
um, another customer, you know, breaks something, not a problem, you know, you don't have to pay for it, you know, right. uh, in a store, you know. They don't understand that that costs us their money, you know. Right. And so in photography, they don't understand that just because you tell a customer all sort of lies, you know, that their marketing is perfect even though it sucks, that their prints are beautiful even though they're horrible, that they should buy the most expensive camera they can afford even though it makes no difference. All of that are things they want to hear and so they'll be back. Right. But they're not back for those reasons. No. They are just convinced now that they're doing the right thing. Right. They'll just go do it on their own. They're not going to come back. Are they going to like you better? Sure. Because, you know, you're like their buddy. You know, you can't do anything right. wrong, right? But we are not here to be buddies. We are here to be teachers. Right. You know, we are here for students to learn. And you don't learn by being told that everything that you've ever done so far is perfect. Right. I mean, the first thing I learned when I started learning painting and photography was what I did wrong and how to correct oh, it. Oh, absolutely. You know? I remember my art critiques <laughs> yeah. hanging on the wall, yeah. and I remember exactly what my uh, yeah. professor had to say, everything that was wrong. You know? But you know what? It was memorized. I memorized exactly what my instructor said, and I made sure that everything that I did wrong in that critique was not going to happen in the very next right. one. And on the next critique, he did congratulate me on all of the things that I did right. But there are still things that you always need to work on. Sure. And uh, that really helped me grow as an artist, but also as a teacher, mm -hmm. being able to teach art mm -hmm. in that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I personally remember the very first 30-second drawing. It may have even have been shorter than that. We did 10 seconds. Two, two seconds or 10 seconds. Oh, gosh. I remember the very first one that I did. I had no idea. I had never done. Uh, it was a nude. It was always nudes. Right. Um, and it was, t let's say, 10 seconds. And I had never done that. I had done drawing, but I had never done a 10 second drawing. So it came 10 seconds, I wasn't done. Right. right obviously. I'm not even close. You, you know, failed. I'm like just trying. <laughs> no. So I, I told the teacher, I said, I don't have enough time. And, you know, and in France, it's pretty direct. You know, we're right. like, well, you know, go to, go to hell. You know, speed up on the next one. Right. You know. That was my critique. It right. wasn't, oh, I'm sorry, let me tell the model no. to keep the pose. No, well, fuck you. You know, you can't do it, you learn. That's how you're right. going to learn. The model has changed the pose, and you know what? It's already started. Right. You know, they would do 10 seconds and just give you maybe a, a few seconds break so you can flip the page. Right. You know, we use these big easels, vertical, right. flip the, the piece of paper over the top, get a new piece of paper and get started. Right. That was the break between two pauses was a few seconds. Right. It was enough time for you to flip the paper and the model to change the pose and then boom, and you, you were right back at seconds, it. Yeah. yeah. And there was no pity. And that was a private school that my parents were paying for. Right. And I was like, uh... Right. That's not right. And, and they're like, hell yes, it's right. You know, that's how you learn. Right. You know, we don't even come close to that in our teaching. No. I mean, we are much, no. much more courteous. But sometimes I think that America is almost divided in two groups, you know, the book can type, you know, the ones that go to the Marines and, and all of that. And then the sissies. I right. mean, there doesn't seem to be a middle ground. No. You know, either they no. went to boot camp and became Marines or something equivalent to that, you know, well. Green Berets or whatever you want to call it. There were uh, no whiners in or, my class. Or there were whiners and sissies. Yeah. You know, there's no in-between. Yeah, we weren't whining you know? in mean, our class. <laughs> when I grew up, you know, we understood that, hey, you know, learning is tough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we don't know shit. and Oh, you know, if you didn't <laughs> like it, the professor would tell you leave. He didn't. Yeah. They didn't care if you left or stayed. Well, I... with us, they did not tell yeah. us to leave. They told us to do it again. Yeah. Speed up the next time. <laughs> <laughs> Get with the program. Yeah. 
So and uh, the characteristic, I think we already went over this, of beginners is that they are not in control of the processing. Right. And I think we went over yeah, some they, of that. Well, they don't know what they're doing. Right. And, and the problem is that, of course, we say that, yes. but they don't believe it. They believe they know what they're doing. And what they're doing is moving sliders right and left, using things randomly, right. however it seems like. You know, and if you ask them, how did you get there? They have no idea because they did not even know what they were doing. Right, right. right. Yeah. They wouldn't be able to do it again, to duplicate. And they can't even explain it. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And so another characteristic of being in us that comes from that is that they believe that art is whatever. You know? Yes. Because they do whatever, you know. Yes. And I always, they say, you know, well, what else could it be? And I say, well, if I go see a doctor and I have pain in my stomach and uh, I want to be diagnosed, and the doctor says, you know, just come back next week, we'll operate, and we'll do whatever. Right. You know, I would look at this guy and say, are you nuts? It's my health, it's my body, you better find out and diagnose I me. I would never know. go back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do, do a, a, a scan, you know. A, right. You know, I forgot, you know, MRI. Yeah, You know, MRI. find out what the problem is, tell me what you're going to do, and go and freaking do it right. You know, right. Don't do whatever, you know. Yeah. I mean, if you went to see a lawyer and you said, you know, I got arrested and I have this problem. Uh, what do you think? She said, oh, don't worry. We'll do whatever and we'll take care of the problem. You wouldn't hire him. Right. If you went to see an engineer and you say, you know, I have a house here that I want to build, you know, what do you say? Just say, ah, oh, don't worry. Just give me some money and we'll do whatever, you know. Right. They'd be like, are you nuts? You know, I mean, <laughs> but without, it's okay. Right. Right. If an artist says, I do whatever, they're like, oh, okay. And so the question is, where does it come from? And the way it comes from is that people don't know what art is, and they don't believe that artist is a profession. Right. And so, for example, if I give my business card to somebody and it says artist, they look at me and they say, well, artist, what else do you do? If I get a business card from a student and it says doctor, I don't look at them and say, whoa, doctor, what else do you do? Right. I believe that they are doctors. Right. right. People don't believe that artists is a profession. They don't question you know? it. No. And, you know, there's good reasons for that. Most artists don't make a living. You know, most artists are bad in business. Most artists, blah, blah, blah. But some of us do make a living. Right. <laughs> and some of us take it seriously. And some of us, we... We were trained for, to teach. We, we do it as a profession. Right. right. I'm not responsible for the rest. And for that matter, I'm sure there's bad doctors, bad lawyers, and bad... Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, architects and engineers, you know. And, right. But that's where it comes from. And so they think that doing whatever is being art, and so they do whatever, and they don't see anything wrong with that. Well, there is a lot of things wrong with that, you know, because they're not in control. And if you're not in control, then you can't re redo it again, and probably you do something that's pretty much what everybody does. And in, like we said in the beginning, they end up doing high-contrast, high-saturation images, uh, all of them. Right. Know. Another characteristic is in their prints or in their processing, they do not manipulate except the contrast and color, which we did go over, but they do not warp or stretch or distort or right, reformat right. or... They think that manipulating contrast and color is okay, but something like distorting the image, reformatting the image, turning an horizontal into a vertical, not by cropping, but by stretching, removing things, adding things, uh, you know, warping, very significant warping uh, all of that uh, is not okay. You know? Right. And part of the problem now is that they mostly use only Lightroom. So that's another characteristic of beginners, is that beginners tend to use only Lightroom. And they're like, well, I don't need Photoshop. Well, of course not. If you don't need to work at the pixel level, 
right? If you don't need to warp, reformat, stretch, uh, or do any of the things that can only be done at the pixel level, then you don't need Photoshop. But the problem is that there's a lot of these things that are necessary when you create art. And so I have to use Photoshop and Lightroom because I can't do what I do otherwise. Right. Another characteristic of beginners is that they learn on the web and they look for free materials. Yeah, a lot of them do. And they think that, you know, you can learn just as well by surfing the web and finding materials here and there as you can in one of our workshops. But the fact is that you can't because our workshops are structured. We have a program. You start at the beginning and then you learn progressively. The web is not progressive, it's whatever you find. Right. So you might find a very advanced tutorial Right. And then you might find a very beginning tutorial, and you really don't know which order, and so you learn it whichever way it comes, you know. Right. Uh, it's like, you know, instead of going to a restaurant with a chef and being served a seven-course meal, you just pick seven different things. They are not going to come in the right order. Yes, yeah. randomly. Yeah, randomly. You know? <laughs> but they are not going to come in the right order. Right. You know? You're going to have uh, oysters, and then you're going to have you're filet just, mignon, you know, yeah. and then you'll have some ice cream. And you'll drink and, your dessert yeah. uh, liquor you're, You'll have first. a salad in the middle of the meal, and then some cheese, and then another piece of steak, and then some fish, and it's completely absurd, you know. And, yes. and you'll start drinking red wine, and then you'll have an appetite drink at the right. end, you know, the uh, dessert. Yeah. You know, why not, you know? Uh, and then you'll get sick and you'll say, you know... I don't feel good. I don't like uh, French cooking, you know. Yes. <laughs> I hate French cooking. <laughs> because it makes me sick, you know. Yeah. Well, it would make a French person sick. You know? You're actually lucky you did not die, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you know? Well, yes. And I agree with you. When you and I teach, it's building be- blocks Because process. we learn how to teach. Exactly. We actually are... Teachers exactly. by training, not just teachers by desperation. Right. A lot of artists teach because they can't make a living selling their work. Right. We teach because we've decided that <laughs> that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> that's what we wanted to do in addition to selling our, my work right. because I sold so much photographs that I actually did not have time to teach and I decided that I would actually teach now that I can do it. You know. But the whole thing about uh, doing in different order was proven to me with students that came to me for the first time after doing adjustment layers with luminosity mask. They would have their photograph, they had never processed anything, and the first thing they do is luminosity mask. Oh, no. And they had pretty bad results, but they did not know that, you know. And I, I pointed to the results, you know, and they said, well, there's no other way I can do that. And I said, well, would you like me to show you how you can do that? In a much simpler way, because they had like 10, 15, 20 layers sometimes. Oh, wow. Luminosity layers, you can't just do one, right? right? You have to do a bunch of them. And they said, well, I mean, you know, I guess if it's possible, you know, please. And I showed them in three steps how to get the exact same look in a photo. And they were amazed, and they were like, uh, how do you do that? And I, well, of course, that's because I know what I'm doing. And... Uh, you don't need this complicated mask. And I had to explain to them that you use luminosity mask when you can't do it any other way. Right. If the normal processing does not give you the result you want. You know, we start simple, then we do complicated if it doesn't work. We don't do complicated and then go to simple. You know? Right. I think another characteristic of a beginner is uh, they do not understand color. Right. Or what HSL is. Yeah, use saturation and lightness. Right. They think that color is color. It's obvious, you know, I take a camera, I shoot, it's color, that's color. Yeah, sure, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, okay, right? They don't understand that color has uh, 
three components, hue, saturation, and luminosity. They don't understand that color is a system, that all three components work together but have to be applied separately. Uh, you know, in Lightroom, when they go into VHSA embarks, they can read uh, that there is hue, saturation, and luminosity because it's written in Lightroom or in Photoshop. But they don't know what it means. Right. right? They are not sure, you know. But yeah, there is no understanding of color whatsoever, except that it's in color, you know. I had a student, uh, and I then I asked them, I said, why do you work in color? And they're like, hello, you know, I shoot in color. How can I work, not work in color? I said, well, color is a choice. You could work in black and white. So I don't like black and white, so I work in color. Well, yeah, but that's still not enough. You have to really be in love with color. Right. In order to be a good color photographer, you have to know color in and out. Yes. You have to be an expert in color. Right. You, you have to be able to talk about color for the next two hours. Right. Not just say, I like color because it's in color, you know. Right. It's like asking somebody why they like chocolate ice cream. I like chocolate ice cream because I like chocolate ice cream. I like chocolate and I like ice cream. Yeah, okay. We can repeat this all day long. You know, right. We are getting nowhere. You know, Only a few people can explain why they like the test of certain things, for example. The fluency in describing the medium we use is very important. Mm-hmm. You know, We have to be able to explain it to other people better than they could explain it themselves. Right. We can't claim to be experts in something if we can explain it no better than the common layman that has no knowledge of it. Right. If I hire a plumber and the guy looks at me and says, what I do is raise pipes and I glue them together, I don't hire this guy. Right? <laughs> yes. Because I can do that myself. Right. I know there is pipes that are glued together. Right. You know? They are called PVC, you know. Right. I, I want you to the, go... Uh, blue glue. Yeah, I've, <laughs> I, I've even done it myself. You know, I, I'm hiring you because... I want you to know things that I can't do, you know, I want you to have studied, you know, uh, plumbing, you know, I want you to be trained as a plumber, you know, not just figure out what wrench you're going to use on the spot uh, when you're in my house, you know. (laughs) I have beginner's belief in presets and auto-processing. Yeah, because they can't do it themselves, and so they click on auto and it looks good, and they're like, wow, I'm freaking good. But no, you're not that good. The engineers that put the software together are good. <laughs> yes, and that, that brings me to uh, Antelope Canyon Workshop that we taught a number of years ago, and we had somebody that was showing sports photographs, which we don't like them to bring on a print review because we do landscapes. Yeah, because we have nothing to say about it, but that's all he had. So but that's we did. all he okay, had, right. so you know, we let him show it. But you know, we were looking at his prints, and we're like, did you print these yourself? And he's like, Yes, and you know we're like, well, these are pretty good, you know, and then he tells us that they're JPEGs and that mm-hmm. that's what he's printing, and then we realize he hasn't done any processing whatsoever. The camera had done everything. The camera had yeah. done everything you for had him. Yeah, put it on sports mode. But he thought he was pretty darn good yeah. uh, in regards to the colors and everything, yeah. which had nothing to do with but, him. But when when you talk about him a little bit more, it turned out that he had put the camera in sports mode in yes. JPEG auto processing. Yes. Everything. Uh, Probably sRGB as the color space, and uh, let it rip. You know? Yes. And he had vivid yes. colors and open shadows and what, whatever setting he could use. He was really good selecting the settings on his camera. Right. And it had speed out things and he printed them and but he it had, looked great. Yeah. But as far as him knowing something, no, he knew nothing. Yes. Yes. He knew nothing with processing. He knew how to set the settings, you know, right. like in the camera, right. but he knew nothing with processing. Right. Yeah. Right. And he could do that all day long. And I when mean, you explained yeah. Yeah. how all of that worked, I remember he was shocked. Yeah, he was probably pissed off. Yeah, because I was telling him that he did not know anything. Right. And people don't like to hear it. But that's what they pay me to do. You know, I make sure right. to give him a chance uh, to understand that. You know, I explain it. 
Beginners believe field work is 80% of the work the, result the final print. in the final print. Yeah. yeah, they believe that field work is most of the outcome, the final print. And what they learn from me is that field work is maybe, it varies from one person to another, but it's maybe about 20% of the final outcome. That is, it's very important. We can't change the composition. We can't change the light. If we shoot backlit, we are not going to make it frontlit, you know, by magic in Photoshop. If there is a big tree and a small tree, we're not going to change that, you know. If there's a mountain behind a tree, we're not going to put the tree in front of the sea, you know, we, we don't want to do all of that. So it is important, you know, but it's still 20%, but 80% of the final look of my photographs takes place in Lightroom and Photoshop. Yeah. And they're shocked. They're like, but what do you do? I can't do that much. And I have to explain to them that that's because they don't know what to do. But right. the goal is to learn what they can do. Because what happens with people, whether they use Lightroom or Photoshop, is that they play with the sliders for maybe five, ten minutes, and ten minutes is a very long time. And then they're like, I don't see what else I can do. Right, right. Uh, well, and when you tell them, well, I worked in Lightroom for two hours, they're like, what? What did you do? I mean, I can't find anything to do past five, ten minutes. Well, right. yeah, I'm not you. You know, I actually do this for a living. I've trained myself. I practice. I study. You know, I, I've done this for many, many years. It's for you to learn. You know, you have to study, you know. And so we run into the same problem all the time, you know, that they don't think they're doing anything wrong, you know. <laughs> they think they know it all. Well, I think the last characteristic... Yeah is that beginners don't know the difference between a good print and a bad print. Yeah, because eventually, you know, unlike music, a bad print is not really something we can assess without knowledge. Music is different. If you hear a symphony and there is the wrong notes, if there is cacophony, you'll be listening to that, you're like, you're in the wrong key, you know. I mean, even if you don't know what key they're playing, you'll be like... If you hear somebody sing and they sing off-key, you're like, please stop, you know, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Now, of course, on a higher level, you know, of achievement, if I go listen to a symphony, uh, an orchestra, and one of the violins plays off-key, I probably can't pick that up because there's too many of them. Right. And that requires the advanced knowledge to really pick one instrument playing off-key, for example, right. or, or doing a quack, you know. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. you probably just bypass it. But the more you listen to music, the more you're able to know that. And I've noticed that in jazz, for example, you know, not that I listen to a lot of jazz, but some of the jazz that I listen to, because jazz is improvisation. It is. I've noticed that on some recordings, there is a quack, or there is enough key, or there is the wrong note, and then he picks it up and he corrects it. Yes. You know, and I can pick that up because I have enough listening experience. So the same thing is true of photography. In order for them to really pick up on what is a good print versus what is a bad print, they have to have print viewing experience, and yes. they don't. They don't for two reasons. The first one is they've never printed for the most part, so that goes out of the window. And B, they never looked at other people's work. Right. Right. They don't go to galleries because we can say that about beginners. They don't go to galleries. They go and surf the web and they look at the work of other photographers and then they try to find where it was taken, what location it was taken, and then they go there, you know. They are location obsessed, you know. I mean, you know, last night we met a photographer at the campground and we told him that... uh, we were photographing and teaching a workshop. And the first thing he asked us is, well, you must know all the location of the archers. As a matter of fact, we don't. No, and I only know one in Joshua yeah, Tree. And, <laughs> well, yeah, and as a matter of fact, we don't even take our students to archers in particular. No. We take them to all sorts of locations. But, you know, he's subscribing to the same thing, which is the secret to landscape photography is doing all the locations, right. the secret locations. 
And so that's, that's what we do. You know, we surf the web and we look for a photograph and we try to figure out where we were taken and we go there at the same time of day and year with the same camera, the same lens, and we try to make the same photo. You know, there's nothing original about that, but we think they're great. You know? right. We all know that originality is creating something that nobody else can create, and today it happens mostly in processing and the importance. But since we don't really go to galleries, we only serve the web, we don't know what a good print is. No. We know what a good web photo is, but uh, what something looks on the web isn't the same as what it looks on prints. Right. I mean, what is the first thing that people say about my work when they look at it in the gallery in person compared to the web? It is so much better in person. <laughs> exactly. They're, this they're is shocked. a beautiful print. <laughs> yeah, they're shocked. They're like, oh my God, I didn't know. I thought it it's was nice. It's even better. Yeah, it's even better. <laughs> I thought it looked good on the web, but this takes the price. This is even better. Right. And I always tell them the same. I say, well, it better look better because yes. this is what you pay for. The web is free. Right. You know, and you better get something better for your money than what you get on the web. Well, and I think that's why it's important during our workshops we have these print reviews because not only do they show their work, they see the work of other students, and then at the end, I show your work. Right. So that yeah. they can see what is a good print. They need to be exposed yes. to real prints. And for most of them, that's the first time they saw somebody else's prints. Yeah. And that's the first time that they actually heard somebody talk about print quality. Yes. Which you know, even if you go to a gallery, they are probably not going to talk about print quality. I agree. And there is another issue in galleries. Sometimes the work is not very good. Sometimes it's not lit very well. We've seen Ansel Adams shows where the prints are lit so dark. poorly that, yeah, it's too dark. The you light never anything. even hit the yeah. photographs. I mean, the projectors are too far. They're yes. not powerful enough or they're in the wrong location. Right. Or, you know, somebody should be fired. You know, somebody exactly. did not do their job. You know. Absolutely. But they don't even know what is good lighting on a print. So, right. you know, I mean, yeah. So... For all of these reasons, take a workshop with us and listen to us tell you the truth about your work, whether it's good or not so good. You know, right. you need the truth. I think that's, that's what I think is the most important conclusion of this podcast, is that the truth matters. Yes. You know, you don't want to live in darkness about the quality of your work. We don't lie, right? Right. You know, you may like what we tell you, you may not like what we tell you, but the fact is that you will know that it is the truth. Right. We are not going to lie to you in order to get you to come back to another workshop. If you never want to come back, fine. That's fair. We don't mind. We'll have plenty of other people that, that will come. Right. We're not worried about that. You know, We are not dying for somebody to sign up for a workshop. You cannot grow and your photography is not going to improve unless you know what is wrong and you correct it. Yeah. And I think also that there is too much lying going on in the world of art. You know, yeah. too many starving artists that think that lying is going to get them to make a buck. You know? right. First of all, I don't think that helps at all, make money. And second, I, I think that it makes people really suspicious of artists in general because they no longer believe what they are told. But also I think that somebody out there, you know, should be telling the truth. And if it's just me, I wish it was more people, and maybe it is more people, hopefully. But at least, you know, in my own case, you know, I tell people what it is. You know. right. I tell it for what it is, you know. And we have students whose work is great, and I tell them it's great, you know. And when students come back and they have corrected all the problems that they have and their work is great, I tell them. Yes, I mean, and you congratulate yeah, them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm not here to say it's bad forever. I'm no. here to say what it, it is. If they come back and it's just as bad, I'll tell them. The goal is to get them yeah. to the next step. Yeah. That's the goal. I mean, if a, come, a student comes back two months later or two years later and they show the same exact stuff, I'll tell them. I say, well, nothing has changed. But if they have improved their work and those that really apply themselves and do what we teach them, they improve dramatically. Oh, they do. Especially when they're beginning. Mm -hmm. The growth 
is phenomenal. The growth from stage one to stage two, you know, from it's I don't huge. know that I don't know to I know that I don't know to I know that I know. This can happen literally on a logarithmic scale where within a, a span of one year to two years, people can go from not having a clue what they're doing to being extremely good. Absolutely. You know, not masterful, yes. but very, very good. Yes. And we saw it happen during the preview here where one of the participants showed work that had extremely high contrast, you know, oversaturated, you know, no subtlety whatsoever, blown highlights, uh, chalky or blocked shadows. Right. And then another participant, and this was backlit, and, and one other participant, the same situation, backlit photographs, are extremely soft highlight with plenty of detail, very pastel colors, and fully open shadows with pure whites. Right. You know, yakas that were pure white, totally backlit. And what is the difference? It's not the camera they're using, no. it's the processing. One has learned with us how to process it, and the other is just on it. Right. You know, and whether yeah. or not he'll learn with us, that's up for him to decide. Right. But at least he can see that if he learned with us, he could do what the other student did. Right. You know. So we're going to close this, and we thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you listen to our next podcast. Thank you.